think we could have kept going with worship for a while there. Um, we'll go back into worship here in a minute after I finish preaching. Good morning. My name is Kurt Miller. I know a lot of you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my family and I, we have served on the field in the Middle East for the last seven years, and we're here for a season. But before I get started this morning, I'll tell you a little bit more about myself, but we wanna pray a prayer for Cobb County Schools for teachers and students. And so if we can, if we can do that and agree together, I'm just gonna lead us in a prayer. I think they start school again tomorrow. And uh, just in light of coronavirus and everything that's going on, we just wanna pray for peace, for protection, for everyone who's teaching and students. So Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for those who are teachers, Lord, and for the school system, Lord, and we pray, God, as schools start this next year, God, I ask for protection. I ask for peace. I ask that you would touch and strengthen all those who teach, all those who serve, everyone who's involved in the school systems, Lord. In light of coronavirus, the fear that they feel, I ask it would be removed, Lord, that there would be no fear, God, that they would feel safe and they would feel your peace. Would you rest upon them in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, like I said, my uh, family and I, we have been a part of Riverstone since forever, I feel like. And we're back right now. We're back in uh, Marietta. And we are probably going back overseas, but we will be here for the next few months, probably a year or so. We're in a season of re rebuilding kind of what we're doing overseas. This has been because of coronavirus, but also a few other things. And so that's, uh, that's, that's why we're here right now. So Tom has asked me to help a little bit at the church and serve a little bit at the church for the next few months, so you'll probably see me a little bit more. So this morning we're going to be talking, I want to be share, sharing on prayer. Um, I know prayer is probably something that you've heard a lot if you're a part of this church. Prayer is one of the five or six, I guess you could say, values of Riverstone. You have worship, prayer, healing, development, outreach, and community transformation. And so I'm sure that you have heard a lot about prayer since you've been here. And some of this may be repeated information, but I'm hoping that some of it will be new for you as well. So you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. And um, before we jump in, I just want to pray one more time and ask the Lord to speak this morning as we read this passage, that he would open our ears to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying. Lord, we love you. God, we welcome your spirit this morning. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your word. And we pray, God, that as we read your scriptures, you would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we would see you. God, that we would learn more about you this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come and breathe upon us, Lord, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the subject of prayer is something that I think in our culture in the West is very normal, very common. Um, a, few, a few things that I think about when I think about prayer and that some of you probably think about as well, especially if you are still in school, you know, you want to pray that you 
get a good grade on your test, or you want to pray that you pass a test, or that you want to pray that you don't fail a test, anything like that. If you're in grade school, that, that begins to be your introduction into prayer. You start, or you get in trouble, and you want to pray that your parents don't find out that you got in trouble. And in the West, that seems to be a common understanding of prayer. And since we were children, we kind of have that in our culture for whatever reason. It's not necessarily negative, but that we're, we grow up and, and prayer begins to take on this definition of, of kind of wishful thinking or hoping for something to happen. You, or maybe you have a bad, you're in a bad circumstance and you pray that that would change. And, um, and so as, as we have that, when I, when I read the Bible, there's actually more meaning that Jesus teaches on prayer than just those things. So prayer, it's not only something we do when our circumstances aren't in our favor or when we have bad circumstances. It's not just wishful thinking about the future. It's not just begging for something. Many times we think about prayer and we we think it's begging and pleading and asking, and it's not that. It's not begging because begging insinuates by definition that you might not get what, you, what you're asking for. So prayer isn't just begging. It's not just hoping. It's not just wishing. And so when I, when I think about prayer, what is prayer? Well, when we see prayer in the Bible, we actually see many different types of prayer, and I'm not going to go in depth on all of these because this would take, just like Tom is going to be preaching for the next 30 weeks on things that Jesus did, as he said last week, this would probably take the same amount of time to talk about prayer in the Bible. But just briefly, I want to mention a couple different, a few, probably nine different types of prayer. And I'm just going to do these briefly. This is not my point today, but I want to, I want to show you that there are many different types of prayer that we see in the Bible. We see the prayer of faith. In James chapter 5, believing that when you pray for someone to be healed, that they can be healed. The prayer of faith. We see the prayer of agreement. We see that in Acts 2.42, when the apostles were joined together and they were agreeing in prayer. We see prayers of request in Philippians chapter 4. We see prayers of thanksgiving. You see that all throughout the Psalms. We see prayers of worship, prayers of adoration. You can see this in Acts 13. The apostles were gathered together with worship and fasting, and then God sent them out as missionaries. We see prayers of consecration. Jesus does this in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he goes to the, to the cross. You see prayers of intercession, 1 Timothy. You see prayers of imprecation. And if you don't know what that means, that's a confusing word that means judgment. Yeah, there are prayers of judgment. You can see that in Psalm chapter 69. And that's definitely not what we're going to talk about today because I don't know how to talk about that one. But anyway, you see prayer, praying in the spirit in 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 15. So there are many different types of prayers in the Bible. And honestly, we could spend whole session just on each one of those different types of prayers. And these prayers, they happen in different contexts. Jesus tells us whenever two or three are gathered in his name, that he is there with us. So it can be with two or three people. It can be with hundreds of people. It can be with thousands of people. Or it can be in our prayer closets. Jesus says, go, shut the door, and pray to your Father who, is in, who hears you in secret. Pray in secret. 
So we have so many different types of prayer. We have different contexts that these prayers can be participated in. But the two, two things that stand out to me that I rarely hear talked about, and I think they're rarely talked about because they're, they're difficult to describe. It's difficult to put language to. And it's the why behind prayer. Why do we pray? And the posture of prayer. And so that's where I want to spend most of our time this morning. Why do we pray? What is the purpose of prayer? And when we pray, what is our posture? How do we come before God when we pray? Those, those things are very important when we come to the, the subject of prayer. So starting with why. The question of why we pray is... Um, it, to me, it's, it's always been a question that's kind of confusing because when I think of the God of the Bible, I think of someone who is all-powerful. I think of someone who is seated in the heavens, who is far above and completely different than any of us. He's not human, but he is human. He's three in one. He doesn't live on the earth, but he did come to the earth, but then he died and he rose again. He's the one who was alive, dead, and now he's alive again. And he's in heaven. And he's the first and he's the last. That is the God of the Bible. Everything I just said, which is so confusing sometimes to think about. And honestly, when we think about it, what it makes us want to do is bow down and worship, which is what it should make us want to do. So then when it comes to the subject of prayer, this always was confusing to me in one sense because I'm thinking, okay, he did all of these things. He's the creator of the earth and he needs me to ask him something? That doesn't make sense. God, the uncreated God who was there before time began, created something or, or taught something called prayer. So why did he do that? If he is all powerful, why do I need to ask him anything, right? If there's some sort of injustice happening, why does he need me to say, God, in this injustice now, why can't he just come down and do it? If someone is sick or if someone's hurting or if someone has a disease, why does he need me to lay hands on them to pray for them to be healed? Why can't he just heal them? Or why doesn't he just heal them? The point of prayer, the reason that God, and this is one of probably many reasons, but I want to focus on this reason. The reason that God has given us the gift of prayer is for partnership. And that's the word that I will use. There's probably many words you could use, but God desires that we would partner with him in what he does. And so he's established his kingdom in such a way that we, believers in Jesus, we get to participate with him in this kingdom. So it's very true that, yes, he can do any of those things in a moment. The injustice that exists, the person who's sick with a disease, any of those things, he can come down from heaven, heal them, bring justice to the earth, just in the blink of an eye. But he doesn't. Not because he can't, not because he needs me for anything, but because he wants me and he wants you and he wants us. He wants us to talk to him. He wants us to be with him. The desire that is on his heart 
is something called intimacy. And the way in this present evil age, the way that we participate and become intimate with God is through prayer. So when we talk to him, we are actually dialoguing with him about the things that are on his heart. He wants us to experience and feel what he feels. So when I want to use the issue of injustice because I feel like that's today, at least if you look in the news, we see that so much. The issue of injustice, that does not please God. In fact, that breaks his heart. There is no, it, no, no, none of these things that you see that are unjust, he cannot turn a blind eye to. He sees them and it moves him. And our role, what, he, what intimacy is, is now coming and joining with him and feeling a little bit of what he feels for these things. It's just like any relationship. If you're married or have close friends, you don't really grow close to someone without relating to them somehow. You can't really grow close to anyone without talking to them, but not just talking, sympathizing with them. Maybe if they had a friend who passed away or a loved one that passed away, sometimes you even cry with them. Now, this might sound very foreign, but that is what Jesus wants to do with us or what he wants us to do with him. Jesus is moved when he looks at the earth. He desires that every person would come to know him. And when he sees that there are people who are suffering, when he sees that there are people that are experiencing injustice and they don't know him, that moves him. He weeps at that. And his invitation to us is to feel that also. Now, he could do that in just a moment. He could change that in just a moment. But because he cares so much about us as well, he invites us into that process to feel and to ask him to bring change, to partner with him. That's the why behind we, why we pray. That prayer, our prayer life fuels intimacy, whether you're praying for the nation, whether you're praying for a friend, whether you're praying for yourself, all of those things are important to him. And in any way, however you participate in them, that is fueling your relationship with God. You don't always just have to be talking about you and him. You can be talking about other things. You can be praying about other things, but that is fueling your relationship with God. Prayer in this present evil age, prayer is the way God has set it up to advance his kingdom. There is nothing more effective that you can do for the kingdom of God today than pray. And scripture is very clear on that. There is nothing more effective that you can do than pray. Yes, preaching the gospel is very powerful. Preaching the gospel is very effective. But prayer is what's going before the preaching of the gospel. I remember when I was in high school, I was reading this book by Leonard Ravenhill called Why Revival Tarries. And I would encourage you to read that if you want to go deeper in the subject of prayer. It's called Why Revival Tarries. And I was reading this book, and he was talking about the Hebrides Revival. And I'm sure you've heard of the Hebrides Revival, incredible story about <clears throat> how God moved in the Hebrides. I remember we even took a, a trip to Scotland years ago 
a missions trip with Riverstone. And while we were there, I remember we were talking to an older family. I mean, they were 95, I feel like. They were very old. And they were telling us stories about how they remember when this revival came through the Hebrides, it even touched parts of Wales and Scotland. And when it was happening, they were telling us stories. They remember the presence of God was so powerful that the dishes in the cupboards were rattling. Not an earthquake. The presence of God rested upon the land in such a way that they could hear the dishes were rattling. God was moving. God was coming down with his presence. And Leonard Ravenhill, when he's, he's talking about this revival, and he says, do you know why revival came to the Hebrides? It came because frail children of dust consecrated a fast and called a sacred assembly. It came, yes, because there was a preacher that preached the gospel and many got saved. But before that preacher preached the gospel, there were people in a room that were praying. Before he even showed up to the island, there were people that were praying that went ahead of him and prayed. Prayer changes history. There's this, uh, another book that I would recommend by a guy named Derek Prince, Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting. Prayer is what will change history. There's, I have hundreds of books coming to my mind right now that I could recommend. But all that to say, when we pray, the kingdom of God is moving forward in an unprecedented way. Now, you don't see it sometimes. You don't feel it sometimes. But you pray with faith, and then you see it. Years later, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, but years later, you will see the answers to your prayers. Prayer changes history. It's the most effective thing that we can do in this age on the earth. So let's turn to Luke 18. And I want to talk about the posture of prayer. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through, 1 through 8. So I'm going to read these, and then I'm just going to give us four notes on, on the posture of prayer. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In this passage, I want to point out four things of the posture of prayer. The first is the posture of desperation. This parable, it's very clear, very self-explanatory. You have a judge and you have a widow. The judge is not just the widow 
sees injustice, and she just comes to him every day asking, give justice, give justice, give justice. And this guy, even though he, care, he doesn't care at all about what she's asking, he gets so annoyed with her and so tired with her, he gives it to her. For this widow to come every day asking him, she had to have a level of desperation. When we come to God in the place of prayer, we have to have a level of desperation. There's an element where you actually feel the pain or you feel the tears or you feel the, the, the sadness that Jesus feels when he looks on the things that we're praying for. That's what I was talking about a moment ago. When Jesus sees injustice or when he sees someone hurting, that does not please him. He is not happy about that. That saddens him. And when he sees it, he wants to share that with us then we start to feel that and it starts to give us desperation. This is, let me tell you something prayer is not. Prayer is not in a disconnected way asking for something to change. Now that can happen. I'm not saying that we always have to feel. In a, that's, I'm not saying that. But it's not being removed from something and just saying, Lord, we see this, bless this, change this in Jesus' name, amen. That's not the type of prayer that Jesus has for us. Jesus actually wants us to feel what he feels and get desperate for change to come. I'm even thinking of the current crisis that we're in right now, the pandemic that we're in right now that has caused so much suffering. I'm thinking about the racial issues, the, injustice, the social injustice issues. I'm thinking about so many things where I'm, me and my natural mind, and I'm sure some of you can relate to this, my tendency is to try to disconnect. I, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to see it. I want to pretend like things are happy. I want to pretend like everything is okay, but it's not. And Jesus actually wants us to feel it. He wants us to see it. He wants us to look at it. And that doesn't mean we have to have answers. The reason I want to not look at it is because I don't have answers. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know how this can change. In fact, if I'm really honest, some of these things, they feel like they're not going to change in the flesh. But God is inviting us to say, no, no, take a second. Feel my pain over this. Just wait. Just look at it. Experience my heart for these things. And then ask me to change that. When you start to touch God's heart in that way, that's when desperation starts to come into your heart. When you start to feel the issue in that way, that's when you start to get desperate for something to change. So the posture of desperation, the second one, is the posture of persistence. And we see this very clearly in Luke 18. In Luke 18, this widow, she was so desperate, right? The posture of desperation, that it led her to persistently come every single day. It says day and night she was coming to someone who didn't even care, to an unjust judge who did not even care. She came day and night because she was so desperate. I need this to change. Change this now. Please change this now. Change this now. Change this now. 
She was probably saying the same thing. Have you ever prayed and said the same thing over and 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 over? And then you start to fall asleep and then you'd get up the next day and you pray at the same thing. That is persistence. That is tiring. It wears me out. I fall asleep in prayer, okay? I'm, every, all of us have fallen asleep while we pray, okay? That is what persistence does. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 17 says, pray without ceasing, without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. He wants us to come to him continually with faith, asking sometimes the same thing over and over and over again. The third posture is a posture of humility. So we have a posture, posture of desperation, posture of persistence, and the third is the posture of humility. When we come to God in the place of prayer, we have to, well, I say we have to, but just coming in to prayer is humbling ourselves before him. Because prayer, by definition, is saying to God, we cannot change this in our own strength. We can't do anything about this. We can't create policies to change this. We can't go to, sometimes we can't go to the doctor to get this person better. So when we come, sometimes we can't, I don't know, whatever it is, we cannot change it. And so that is an act of humility in and of itself. But it's something changes when we remember that he can. And we have a posture of humility to say, God, we can't do this, but you can do this. And right now, we are going to ask you, we're going to confess to you that we are weak, we do not have the power, but we know that you do have the power. And we're going to ask you with desperation, we're going to ask you day and night, and we're going to ask you humbly right now to do this, to break in and heal this person, to break in and change this circumstance, the posture of humility. And the, the fourth thing, the final thing, is a posture of confidence. And this is so tricky when it comes to prayer because it's almost like, how can you be humble and be confident at the same time? I mean, I think that's what we think about a lot. Like, if we want confidence, that's not really humility, but it, it, that's not true. You can be confident in the person who's going to answer your request. And a passage I want to read for, the, for this is Hebrews chapter 4. And I'll just read this. You don't have to turn there. You can write it down. One of my favorite passages, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since the promise of entering rest... Wait one second. Sorry, it's not that verse. Chapter uh, 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The posture of confidence. The author of Hebrews here is saying, when we come before his throne, right? His throne is the judgment seat in the heavens. The place where God is sitting, the all-powerful, all-sovereign God. What he's saying, he's saying, don't go in there with your tail between your legs, scared that he's gonna punish you for what you did yesterday, which is most of the times how we come before God. We come afraid, 
We become nervous. Uh, what's he, what's he going to think of me? What's he going to say to me? The author of Hebrews is saying, no, come before the throne of grace with confidence. The reason that we can do that is because Jesus, we believe in Jesus, and he has already forgiven our sin. He's condemned our sin. He's justified us before God. So through faith in him, we can come before God with confidence. This was not the case before Jesus. Before Jesus, you had a temple. Before Jesus, you had priests. Before Jesus, no man other than the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies or you're dead. You're dead. That's how holy God is. That is how completely other than he is. You could not go near the Holy of Holies. In fact, they would put a chain on you, the high priest, when he would go in there, in case he did die, they could pull, pull his dead body out. That's God. That's the Holy of Holies. And now the author of Hebrews is saying, you have faith in Jesus. He's forgiven you. You're sinless when you approach him now. So approach him with confidence. Be bold. Ask him what you need because he wants to give it to you. Ask him anything you want according to his will and he will give it to you. Be confident, be bold. So when we come before God in prayer, these are the things that in prayer are so difficult to describe, I feel like. I've tried to, I've been involved in prayer meetings for the last 15, 20 years weekly and leading prayer meetings. And these are the things that are so difficult to describe because when we come before God, he wants us to have a posture of desperation, a posture of persistence, posture of humility, and a posture of confidence. He wants us to come before him in that way, to relate to him, to be intimate with him, to be close to him. But not only that, to be confident in the things that we ask of him knowing that he will give them to us. Prayer, what I have kind of noticed in the West, usually is defined as wishful thinking about the future. Wishful thinking about the future. And that is not prayer according to the Bible. And I wanna encourage you as you take these next days and as you spend time with God in the place of prayer, it takes intentionality to do this, but try to adjust your thinking, not just to think of prayer as begging or wishful or hopeful thinking about the future, because that's not what prayer is. The things that you're asking are actually possible. The things that you're asking, if we can believe, those things, he actually wants to, he wants to do them. He wants to answer our prayers. And I love in this passage in Luke 18, Jesus actually relates this parable specifically to the end of the age. And he says right there at the end, however, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I think in these days, I think we are growing closer to the time when Jesus is gonna return. And if you look across the church today, there are prayer movements that are arising in an unprecedented way. And I believe it is building up to the time when Jesus could come back. And today, that is what he is looking for. A people who will pray. A people who will join with him in the place of prayer. Who will have faith to believe that he can bring justice on the earth. 
who will have faith to believe that he can change the things that are wrong and he can make them right. So this morning, we're gonna transition into a time of ministry and Mike Smith's gonna come up and, uh, and lead us in that. But I, w- I wanna pray for us as we do that. And I, the biggest thing I want you to take away today and I wanna encourage you with, as you spend time in prayer this week, I wanna encourage you to think about this because if I know, if I found one thing, I'll just speak for myself. When I approach prayer, I usually just do it casually, which that's not always bad, but I usually do it without a lot of intentionality. And it takes intentionality to position our hearts with desperation. It takes intentionality to position our hearts to pray continually, to pray with humility and to pray with confidence. And that's what I wanna encourage us to do as we pray. Even as we pray this morning, we can practice that. Prayer is work sometimes. It takes that intentionality. So let's pray, and then, and then Mike's gonna come up and lead us in ministry time. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the gift of prayer. God, we thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit and that we can engage with the Holy Spirit and pray. And that not only do you hear us, but that you respond to us. That when we pray, it's not just saying words into the sky, but it's actually talking to a real God who can relate to us, who loves us and who is near to us. Lord, just as the disciples asked you, God, I ask you on behalf of all of us in this room, teach us how to pray. This morning, this week, God, I ask you, would you teach us how to pray? Would you give us grace, God, to draw near to you? Would you give us the helper, the Holy Spirit, Lord, we feel weak. We're not even able to do this in our own strength. But we know that your Holy Spirit can lead us. Your Holy Spirit can prompt us. Your Holy Spirit can teach us. And Lord, that's what I ask this morning. Teach us how to pray. And God, not just for the advance of your kingdom, but yes for that. Not just for justice, but yes for that. Lord, for us to draw close to you, for intimacy. Lord, we wanna be like this persistent widow. We want to pray and not give up. We wanna pray and not lose heart. We wanna pray and have faith and believe. So I'm asking God, would you help us? Would you teach us? In Jesus' name.